I get surprises every time we do a Kaizen event, right? So what doesn't surprise me is the amazing creativity of teams to solve problems. So that that part, you know, their solutions are always better than anything I could have imagined. I will tell you that what surprises me is when somebody walks into one of my Kaizen events that I've never met before and they have their my book in their hand. That's that's a surprise because I always wonder if anybody besides those in my family have bought my book. So when somebody comes in and with my book in their hand, they say, can you sign this for me? I'm shocked. I'm floored. So that's that's really the surprise for me. That's a beautiful gift. You know, a lot of people that <laughs> haven't read a book yet don't know. You know, Adam has an amazing book out there. Adam, go ahead and plug the name of your book so people could hear it from your own words, your own mouth. I'm an on-site consultant, so I do a lot of work with teams, but I have to be in their Gemba. So during the pandemic, I had a lot of time on my hands. People were not bringing people on site, and that to totally understood. So I spent a little time writing my stories of my amazing Kaizen team. So it ended up being a book called The Wheel of Sustainability. And it's all about how I apply a system and help teams solve problems in a sustainable way. That's beautiful. And Adam and I were talking before the show started about the books we've both written. And it's more like something that we do for love. I'd like to think, Adam. And hearing you talk about your book, like you definitely wrote it. It's a it'd be a passion project. We don't write you people that are listening to the show. We don't write the books to be rich. Book the Amazon and the different book distributors, they make all the real money on the books. Right. And the authors, if we're lucky, we get a couple nickels, you know, for each book that we sell. <laughs> well, that that is so true, Felipe. And I will I'll be very honest. I've handed out way more copies to folks than I've sold. And I'm I'm very pleased to do that because in my in my view, if you can help just one person improve how they do what they do, then it's all worth it. Uh, of course, being an engineer uh, in background, I, I have a tracking system to see if I'll ever break even uh, on my investment into writing a book. And so far, that answer directly is no, but indirectly, I've gotten some nice business relationships based on the fact that I had written a book and it did help some folks. That's spectacular, Adam. I, I can't believe we have that exact thing in common. Oh, secret be out. I have a spreadsheet tracking something very similar <laughs> as well. After. And I think for me, it's been two years and I'm still having to track it on a spreadsheet. <laughs> right, right. Every single time a single book is sold, it's kind of a celebratory moment. Because I know I've run out of relatives at this point. You know, I actually had, uh, speaking of relatives, my mom and dad were on the phone with me the first year I published Adam. And there was a debate on whether I should buy them a copy of my own book or whether they should pay for a copy of my book. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> it's true. Welcome to the EBFC show, the easier, better for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by Bosch Refine My Site is a cloud-based construction collaboration platform that applies lean principles to enable your entire team to plan, communicate, and execute in real time. It's the digital tool that works in tandem with your last planner system process and puts it all together in one simple collaborative ecosystem system. This easy-to-use platform is available in English, German, Spanish, Portuguese, and French and can be used on desktops, tablets, and mobile devices. 
According to Spencer Easton, scheduling manager at Oakland Construction, Refine My Site, in my opinion, is the best, leanest tool on the market for the last planet system. Here's what our users have to say. We've looked at three other digital scheduling platforms and none compare to the straightforward approach Refine My Site takes. From milestone planning all the way down to daily tasks, this program gives every general contractor and their trade partners meaningful collaboration, accountability, and KPIs. Register today to try Refine My Site for free for 60 days. Today's show is also sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry in transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Now, to the show. Welcome to the show, Adam Lawrence. Adam, thank you so much for coming on to the show. It was worth the wait to have you go through multiple rounds of Kaizen events in two different states. I would love you to share with the good people of the EBFC show a little bit about your background and how you came to be traveling, what I'll just say the world, to helping people improve and experiment every single day. And while Adam's doing that, telling us about why process improvement is so important to him, people go ahead and tap the description below. You can get a longer bio from Adam, as well as finding all the links that are important to him, including the sustainability wheel book that Adam has published, their links will be there in the show notes. And I highly, highly recommend that while you're scrolling down to expand the description window, you go ahead and hit that like button so that you can let Adam and I know that you appreciate this type of content. Well, Felipe, thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I've been doing continuous improvement work for just about 35 years. So that kind of dates me. First 30 years in industry. Um, graduated from Virginia Tech as an industrial engineer. So go Hokies. Uh, we didn't know the term lean at the time. I will say that I just always enjoyed getting on the factory floor uh, with those doing the work, learning about what they were doing and trying to help them improve the processes from a safety or productivity standpoint. Uh, one day in Chicago, which was my second location for a large company, as a supervisor, we were having some difficulties making ceiling grid. And I picked up a book by a gentleman named Shigeo Shingo, who taught me all about SMED through his book. And I said, oh my gosh, I can use this right now. What have I been waiting for? And that just kind of fed my uh, thirst for improvement knowledge. So over the years, I kind of refined my approach. And I used to get sent all over the world to help various teams solve complex problems. Uh, in the late 90s, uh, I found out, you know, one of the solutions we had implemented didn't work and it drove me a little bonkers. So I realized that a lot of it was due to my approach and it really had nothing to do with the folks at the plant or the leadership, et cetera. It was how I was engaging with them and how I was working with leadership. So I then created a, a system I call the wheel of sustainability. And the whole idea of that is once we get something solved, through the amazing creativity of people, how do we keep it solved? So fast forward a number of years, I finally put it all together as a system. Uh, fast forward, I went out on my own about five years ago and 
two years ago, three years ago, I wrote a book on it just to, to get it down in a way that hopefully others could use. And I've been using it with teams ever since. So it's been a, been a fun ride. So like I said, five years on my own, 30 years in industry, just keep refining my approach to helping teams solve complex problems in a sustainable way. Yeah, Adam, thank you so much for that uh, background. You've been studying Shingeo Shingo. You know that uh, I've stolen what he gave Taichi as advice for the name of my show because I'm also a Shingeo uh, devotee. And he used to, it's a rumor, you know, this is legend now because it's been so long ago. The legend is that he told Taichi, in order to implement your system, the first thing you need to do is make it easier for people to do. And once it's easier, it becomes better. And as things are better, it'll become faster. And only then will it become cheaper, easier, better, faster, cheaper, easier, better for construction. I love it. And you're in, uh, you're working with a lot of different clients, Adam, that are definitely inside of what we would consider the supply chain for construction. And, you know, as a, as an end user working for a general contractor at the bull company, we'd love it when suppliers are experimenting and of like mind of continuous improvement and making things better, more predictable, more reliable. And I like your spin on it where you're tapping into the creativity of all the people. So I want to ask you if you could, if you don't mind to spoil me or indulge me just a little bit and define some parts of the wheel of sustainability, but don't give too much away at them because I want people's curiosity to be piqued. And I want to help you generate an appropriate level of book sales. All the people listening that have trouble making improvements last with their people, especially when it comes to complex business problems. Well, I appreciate that. I do love giving stuff away. So I actually have no issue with this. And I've learned that as simple as it seems to me, you know, obviously I wrote this book on it, but, but there's ways that I've been helping teams truly understand it. Uh, so what I will tell you is I am focusing on Kaizen events only. So some people do coaching, some people do speaking engagements. I mean, I do all that, but that is not my focus. My focus are these short-term Kaizen events with teams. And by the end of the week, we've not only implemented the solutions, but we've placed the system of the wheel of sustainability around those solutions. What I want them to have is that winning experience and that it stays solved. They don't need my help the next week or the next month. I'm always available, but that's that's not the approach. So the wheel, I am based out of Amish country, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So if you imagine a wagon wheel, in yeah. the center of the wagon wheel of the wheel of sustainability is leadership commitment. This is what holds everything together. Then there are eight elements that surround it, starting with notification, how we tell people about the change that we're making, why it matters, how it will help them. The second spoke is training and review. So it's after we've delivered the message, now we're going to work with people one-on-one -on -one in a version, a very simple version called tell, show, and do. I'm going to tell you about the change. I'm going to show you my respect for you by demonstrating it to you. Just you and I, we're going to have a conversation. I'm going to make sure you understand it. Then I'm going to have you demonstrate it to me. I'm going to make sure you truly can understand how it applies to you and how it can help you. If you're confused, I can I can see it right there in your eyes. So it's a respect for people. It's taking the time. Remember, leadership commitments in the center of all this, meaning that we're going to give people time to learn in this way. The next 
This book is called Visible Evidence. Can I tell from 20 feet away that people are following the standard work in a way that is proper? Uh, are there, are they following it? If they're following it, let's come visit them and thank them. If they're not following it, let's come visit them and help them. The next one is to give them everything they need to follow that new change, that standard work or anything that's critical and vital. And I call this all tools available. So in a, in a manufacturing way, if I needed a nine sixteenths wrench in three locations, I'm going to place it in those three locations. I'm not going to rely on it being in somebody's toolbox. The next aspect is called clear benefits, meaning that as I show you this change, if you don't relate it as a benefit to you personally, what we used to call what's in it for me, if you don't relate it as your own benefit, you're probably not going to do it. So I need to get your feedback. I need to see you do it. I need you to tell me what you like or dislike about it. So this adds to the engagement, this adds to the buy-in and the alignment around the change. The next element is called layered audits. So the person doing the work always audit, should be auditing their work. As we go up levels, we should be auditing with less frequency. A great audit, and my teams know this, cannot be more than five minutes, and it should be engaging. This is not something I'm gonna look away from you. I'm gonna do it with you. We're gonna see how I can help you improve your process that you are following. The next one is called accountability. This is leadership accountability, not personal accountability. If I see somebody following standard work properly, I need to take the time to reinforce and thank them. If I see them following standard work improperly, but I have a meeting to go to, I'm going to stop and help them get back to standard. So I have to make choices here. And finally, the last spoke is called recognition. This is telling stories. Adult human beings seem to learn better when a story is attached, this is kind of like cause and effect, plan, do, check, act. What really happened and why are we better? Making that connection so that we can do it more, so that we can get the rest of the organization engaged and want to do more of that. So I gave them all away. You now have the secret sauce. Please go forth and conquer. I would love to help anybody, you know, do it yourself because experiment, experiment, experiment. Adam, there's there's nothing wrong with uh everything you said i think listening to it and the way you flowed through it my brain was getting triggered all these different times where improvements have gone wrong i think your wheel acts is an amazing countermeasure in so many different ways countermeasures with an s excuse me countermeasures with an s to the different things that that cause change initiatives or improvements to fail stall or just never get off the ground and I think by having leadership at the center, you're, you're setting a really strong foundation for, for buy-in uh, people at various different levels, as well as it does actually take leadership support to institute some type of change. You can sometimes when people are not clear, especially at the leadership level, you can have different factions or people uh, misaligned and that changes how they communicate and will give people the benefit of the doubt and gives, let's assume angelic intentions as my friend in texas says <laughs> when things don't go well yeah. but i like that uh you start right away with communication after we come off the center spoke and what a beautiful way to think about it we come off of that center spoke and we go right to communicating what can you tell me about communication gone wrong that made you put that as the first place you start so I put it the first place because, of course, I've done it wrong myself many a time. 
So here's where we go wrong, where I've gone wrong. Um, telling people what they need to do next. What's the new thing? What this, what that? So here's the problem. When, when we're doing crew meetings, group meetings, et cetera, most adult humans retain about 3% of what they hear. So all they're hearing is blah, blah, blah until they hear how much money it might be worth or how, how much more difficult they think their life is gonna be. And most of us human adults expect the worst and hope for the best. So the change that we make, the change that I make and with my teams is why are we doing it? How will this help? We've got to get clear and crisp on messaging. If you don't believe it, they won't believe it. If you do believe it, there's a chance. So th these spokes, you can do them separately, of course, but they have to work together because if the message is not consistent and clear all the way across all the spokes, then what we're doing is we're sending those mixed messages. So my teams, when they simplify processes, when they improve processes, I ask them these questions to say, okay, here's what you did. Why'd you do it this way? How do you think it's going to help yourself and the people that you work with? What do you want to tell them that would help them see that you had only the best of intentions? I've never heard it called angelic intentions. I might, I might steal shamelessly steal. that one later on, steal depending that. on what yeah. I need. But again, communication, no matter how much we communicate, it's never going to be enough. So we have to anchor. We have to anchor with the why we did what we did and how it will help people. I think you tapped on something that a lot of leaders don't realize and is that as, uh, as we speak to people, it does actually turn into blah, 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 blah. Like this is a real phenomenon, Adam. Like I've watched, I've, I've been in meetings where I'm not, I'm not the leader. I'm like, uh, you know, one of the doers and I've heard yeah. leadership say something and some, and like the more complicated it is, I think the faster we go to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I usually am like taking notes for, for some reason, people like to assign me note-taking. I don't mind it one bit at them. And then afterwards, when there's questions, you either get no questions or you get questions that were answered in the first like 10 seconds. And, you know, I do a lot of uh, training of a system myself called Scrum, which is a very simple process, but if you don't practice it, it's totally foreign to you. And I've said things in trainings, training scenarios where like I'm covering something and I said, what I'm saying right now, almost all of you will ask me about tomorrow as if I never said it today. And you're, right. and you're all laughing because, and, and I tell them why they're laughing. It's like, until you do it yourself, it doesn't actually make as much sense. You have to do it. This leadership commitment that you get in driving this sustainable change, you know, Adam, how do you communicate with your leadership teams? to get them on board with Kaizen? Because I'm imagining like you don't have a committee of people engaging you. It's probably one or two people. Right. They bring you in. What is that like when you're coming in and talking to the, the bigger leadership group? Well, that's a great question. So certainly we have to give them an image of what leadership commitment looks like and the benefits, what they'll get from demonstrating it. Right. So having done I'm going to say about 350 Kaizen around the world, get to a point where you, you know the patterns, you know what's going to happen. You know when you do it right, people will make breakthroughs and make life better. So leaders, you need to understand what that looks like and, and the support that they're going to need. Good news is I know what we did wrong <laughs> and I know what it looks like when we do it right. Uh, so my basic element is chartering. Uh, so I work with my leader sponsor around what does the Kaizen event look like? What is that problem we're trying to solve? 
What is, why does it matter? Why is it so critical to the business, to the employees, to the customer, right? We've got to be very clear and crisp around that. If leaders can't get wrap, map, wrap their minds around that, we can't move forward. The next element is called the objectives for the Kaizen. So what, what clear evidence would we have that the team has accomplished the mission that they've won by the end of the week? We cut time in half. We created new standard work. We cut cost. We reduced safety risk. We improved productivity. We've reduced inventory, you name it. Time is typically more interesting to people. Of course, it relates to bottom line results. So what are those three, four or five elements that the team can look at and strive for that says, hey, we did it. Okay, those are just two. The third element is, okay, what's the team that we need to put together to guarantee a win? What's the best team we can place on the field? And it always centers around the people that are in the middle of the work. They must be there first. If leadership's not ready to do that, they're not ready to engage with me. And they're just going to be frustrated, of course. So any Kaizen event can be anywhere from 10 seconds to four and a half days with me. But typically the sweet spot for me is somewhere between three and four and a half days. So it's a heck of a commitment. Every team member must be 100% dedicated they're not going to have other meetings. They're not going to have other responsibilities. So I'm watching the whites of the leader's eyes. Can you really do that? Can you give me these eight to 12 people to solve the problem? And are we going to give them carte blanche to solve the problem? Because once we approve that charter, we're saying, go forth. We're not telling you what the answer is. We're, we're going to scope it. We're going to tell you what's in scope and out of scope. But what we're not going to do is say what to do and how to do it. Because if you knew that, you would have already done it. And the last of the elements, just four, is who's going to lead? Who's going to be the leader of the Kaizen event? And that's going to be the owner of the output. That's the person that will have 24 hours, seven day a week, 365 day a year responsibility for the implementation and the impact that these changes will make on the organization. If I can get all four of those elements scoped out, We've got a great chance to win because then all I have to do is develop the, the Kaizen event to help them solve whatever the problem is they've chosen. Again, the image then becomes, all right, leaders, once you've given us the approval, we're doing it. And anytime we ask for anything, the answer must be yes. It can't be no. You can't. And you should show up every so often. Come see us. Come visit. Participate as much as you want. But don't slow us down. No observers, everybody plays. Ooh, no observers, everybody plays. I like that. I'm stealing that from you, Adam. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's that's really good. What's the typical runway of time to develop this charter with the leadership before you you physically are on site with a team? So my typical process is we start a conversation probably four to six weeks before any Kaizen event. Typically a 30-minute Zoom call. We're going to talk about... What's the problem you're intending to solve? What are the issues that you're running up against? And I've done so many of these, I can kind of distill it down to almost a financial equation if that's what's needed. It's a safety risk type thing. That's That doesn't need to be financial. That's about helping people go home as good as or better than they, they arrived. Uh, but I've done a few of those, by the way, but but we always incorporate safety into every Kaizen. Then if I've not worked with the teams before the leadership, typically I'll take a one-day visit. So I'm going to walk Gemba with you. I'm going to see how you engage with your people, how you engage with your leadership teams. Uh, then we're going to do 
I will build charter with you for about an hour, hour and a half. Then I can just quote out, give you a proposal for anything. And again, within four to six weeks. And that's not time that I need. That's time that you need at your location. You got to get your people. You got to get certain supplies. You got to get a, a place to work. You've got to be ready to unleash the amazing power and creativity of people onto your Gemba because that's what we're going to do. We're going to experiment. We're going to try. So I'm setting them up with an image and even specific detail of what that's going to look like so that they can prepare. Uh, it's not unusual to have challenges to get the specific people you need. Hey, they're on vacation or I'm going to have trouble getting coverage. Well, I could come to your site tomorrow and execute any type of Kaizen you want. You got to be ready because this is for you. This is not for me. I want you to have a great winning experience. I want your people to feel like, wow, that was really cool. I want to do more of that because what we want to do is keep engaging them and empower them to do it on their own without an outside consultant. We do a lot of industrial type of work and I've seen, you know, various different types of lines in play and just thinking like as an observer who's walked spaces that were creating uh, future spacious expansions, whatever, uh, it's hard even for me sitting here, Adam, to imagine that eight people from a, a key process could be like taken away for a given amount of time. Do you typically, I, I can't see that you, like if you're working on something, they can't keep working and doing the Kaizen simultaneously. They have to like step off the line for a second, right? Is they, so they will be 100% in Kaizen. They will not be on their line. The only time that they're on their line is when we do a changeover reduction Kaizen, a SMED for those yeah. that are familiar. So what they'll do is go back to the line and trial their new changeover approach, but then they'll come off the line to assess what happened. Uh, but, but yes, those eight to 12 people will not be on their normal jobs the entire time during the Kaizen event. They can experiment in their jobs when they're practicing and trialing their changes, but they are totally divorced from the process. They are laser focused on the improvement efforts. And then when the event is over, they go back to what we would call their normal lives with intentionally a much improved process. Yeah, that, that is powerful. I think mean, there's a lot of really cool things happening there. You're shifting people's perspective and you've got, uh, I think, your approach to have leadership popping in and out and not allowing them to be just an observer, but they have to play in it is a huge, huge countermeasure to a lot of things that I see go wrong. Cause we, we have similar types of things happening in the construction industry as well with what people that are improving. And speaking of which for people listening to the show, this might be the first show they listen to Adam, where we use the word Kaizen so much, would you mind right. defining that word for people that may not be so familiar or read all the same nerdy books that you and I like to read? <laughs> all right. So Kaizen is a Japanese word. And so my interpretation, and there's many interpretations, just make something better, make good, make better. I always say Kaizen, not Kaizen. Now, some people say Zan, but I was scolded one time by a Japanese sensei that said, Zan is bad, Zen is good. So don't make worse, make better. I said, okay, good. So very simple. We're not making perfect. We're just making better. And I love how it engages people to feel like they can be part of the solution. Now, what I do is called a Kaizen event. 
So this means, again, we're scoping something within a time period to make improvements to a very specific business problem that, that no one else has solved. You know, very often I've heard, we've tried this before. We used to do this. We used to do that. No one else has done this. Well, they didn't get you guys together, did they? And so don't give up. We're going to try some things. People might think that it's kind of crazy, stupid or whatever. If it makes better, if it makes makes it better and doesn't negatively impact safety or quality, then we're in. Okay, so very simple. I don't use a lot of Japanese terms. There are just two that I use at all times, Kaizen and Gemba. And Gemba, of course, is the place where the work is done, the real place. Yeah, I think that's lovely. Yeah, thank you so much for that definition, Adam, and that clarity for people that that might not know. And it it is that simple of you know doing something, making things better. Right. And there's definitely the the Kai and the Zen have you know the connotations and knowings. And we've had we have a mutual friend in Katie Anderson who often goes to Japan, speaks Japanese, and has shared uh, on this show what uh, Kaizen means. And what the kaji characters mean so i'll put a link in the uh, show description so you can hear katie's short definition on what kaizen is well it's completely aligned with adams great but i just like to encourage listeners if you like this type of content there's other shows that are similar vein and katie takes a a very aligned approach with adam which i'm not surprised but i think the two of you were friends before the three of us became friends yeah <laughs> Yeah, but I want to ask you, Adam, you know, as you're thinking about, we've got this Kaizen in our, in our mind, you know, what, what are some recent experiences that you can share to help teams through this? Because like you said, for a lot of people, Kaizen events are not a normal part of how they work. And right. we always get, uh, we, people that go to improve things, will hear things like, oh, we've done this before. Right. They're facing a problem right now, a business problem, and they're not taking that before knowledge and applying it here. So something is going on. So I just would love for you to share a transformation Kaizen experience event. And sure. I'll uh, I'll pick on the key challenges and and some threads just for my own selfish curiosity, Adam, because that, that's how the show works. <laughs> hey, it's your show, man. You do whatever you want to do. I just tell stories. Uh, very recently. So this is going to be a non-manufacturing Kaizen event. Uh, so I'm working with the largest re, uh, furniture retailer in South Central Florida, City Furniture, Go City Furniture. Yeah. And I've been doing at least one event every month for them. They've been on their lean journey for 15 years, started by the CEO of the company. So this is this is something that I don't usually get to integrate with. So we were doing, so they're a distribution center. They're a showroom and distribution center. They do not manufacture. And so the issue was uh, what they call day of delivery damage. So you bring the furniture out to the customer. Oh, by the way, you can go in their showroom today and they'll deliver it today or tomorrow and they'll assemble it. Up here, up north, you wait weeks, you wait months. Nope. These guys, they definitely understand lean city furniture operating system. So I'm doing a plug for them. So anyhow, just, they're just amazing. Just an amazing group of folks. Anyway, so we're doing a Kaizen event. And uh, so I have a bunch of the, what they call the service technicians. So these are the delivery drivers from 6am to 9am. They are unboxing 
inspecting, repairing, reboxing, and loading their truck for the furniture they're going to deliver that day. Then they go out on the road and they deliver it to your home or my home. Now, as you might expect, there gets to be some amount of damage that occurs at your home. So you won't like that. I don't like that. So our goal was to cut the damage in half. Cut the damage in half. How the heck are we going to do that? Yeah. Okay, so here's what they did. Here's what they did. So they have these blankets that they use. We, and we watched some videos. We went out to a number of customer deliveries on our first day. That was our Gemba walk or Gemba ride, right? Pretty cool. And what we realized was there were two main locations where damage occurs. One was through your door. So the bigger the furniture, the more likely it is it's going to hit your doorway. So guess what? We damage the furniture and we damage your doorway and you are not a happy customer. The second most challenging place is right off the truck. So if you pull a big piece of furniture down off the truck, it's going on your street, it's going on your driveway, it's going on your yard. So what's on your street? Gravel, right? Dirt, all these things. Uh, sometimes they use the blankets, but the blankets get ripped pretty easily. So the, you know, they have a challenge with that. So what did they do? One of my teams, so I always break them up into little working groups. They prioritize. So we had the off the truck team and we had the through the doorway team. Okay. So the off the truck team found one of these uh, cleaning service mats with a rubber backing and a carpet front. So they say, what if we just bring one of those mats with us two foot by five foot? Okay, so I said, well, let's practice this in the distribution center. So they put this map down on the floor and all these other folks are looking around. What are you doing? Ah, we're trying to protect the furniture. We're going to use this mat. And somebody says, well, that's stupid. We're like, and they're like, try it, man. They pull it off the truck and they're like, oh my God, that's brilliant. The mat doesn't move and the, the furniture twists and turns easily on the carpet face. We're like, not so stupid, is it? Okay, pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> the second team, the second team says, oh, we got to protect the doorway. How are we going to protect the doorway? Let's take one of our little blankets and let's duct tape it. So we had to find a 32 inch doorway in our distribution center, which was not that easy to find, but we found one and we're duct taping. Of course, they get people visiting. What are you doing? Oh, we're figuring it out how to make the furniture not get damaged in the doorway. But you can't duct tape to the person's home. That's stupid. No, no, no. We're we're practicing, we're practicing. So I had them show me how to, I'm a little guy, by the way, five, six and a half, 155. How do you get a sofa through a doorway? So they they taught me. And so what we found out was when we duct taped the, the blanket to the, to the door frame, it just smoothly went through the blanket. So we kept using the word smoothly. Keep thinking smoothly, keep thinking smoothly. How can we replicate it? Because we can't duct tape, we can't duct tape. Can't do that, but the idea is fantastic, right? Because I could feel it. It would have gotten damaged had we not had the blanket there, right? So they were convinced. So we look up in a little company called Uline, who supplies a bunch of different materials to industry. Oh, them well, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you do. We a lot of us industrial geeks do know that stuff, but they're awesome. And um, they sell a blanket with an internal spring. An internal oh. spring. I did not know such a thing existed. You could look that up. So anyway, they get one. We ran down the street to get one and we started placing that. So no more duct tape. Now we're on the doorway. Okay, that's cool. We got something to try. 
So in day three, day four, I can't remember which day it was. It was kind of a blur. Um, one team went out with mats. One team went out with blanket. Mat team goes out to first home. They put the mat on the ground. Homeowner runs out. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, we're putting the mat down on the ground to protect your protect your furniture. He goes, oh my God, no one's ever done that. Taking such great care. Thank you so much. And they were like, they thought, you know, he was angry. No, he was amazed. He says, no one's ever done such a thing. They went to two other homes, same type of reaction. In fact, one guy stopped him to bring his family out to see it. Okay, uh -huh. so that was pretty cool. Plus Good. they got heavily tipped. The second team, <laughs> second team, which I did not get to see, but they were just, they came back with these big grins on their face, like the Cheshire cat, put the thing on the doorway and they got stopped again. The lady took pictures. She says, no one has ever treated my home so well as what you're doing right now. Thank you so much. There's always damage. And she slipped them a hundred dollar bill. And they come back and they are the happiest little clams you have ever met. Both teams, both delivery driver teams, that's the team that did both of these visits. And this is a direct in their pocket improvement, a direct customer improvement, a direct company improvement, everything just for these two seemingly simple ideas that no one had done. And there it was. It's now implemented. It's now sustained. That blanket is on every delivery truck. I believe there are over 115 in the fleet, maybe more than that, because we cannot allow the next customer to ever have their doorway damaged again. Oh, that's a great story. Adam, I got to think like, you know, what, what kind of things were people trying before that like they wouldn't do something. If somebody ordered a couch same day, they're not going to load two couches in the truck in case they damage one. Right. Mm -mm. I just got to so, make sure that that's not happening. So like if, if something does get damaged, do they, was the policy before that they tried to just fix it on the spot or do they have to bring it back and try again? So they don't approve delivery and they send them home. They send them back to the distribution center and maybe they'll order again. Maybe they won't. And that's, this was the key issue that, and I know a lot of furniture companies have the same issue, right? And I could tell you a few more details about how that affects the delivery driver, but we'll yeah. leave that for another day, but, but absolutely brilliant systems. And so let me just say this, if the customer does not approve delivery, everybody loses everybody. So, so you want to talk about invested folks? No, there's no room for duplications. We just get get it through your doorway and hope for the best. Well, that's not what's happening anymore. And what they used to do, some of the longer term drivers, not for doorways, but instead of that mat, they'd put one of those blankets down, but those things would get torn up very quickly. So they were losing blankets pretty quickly. These little carpeted rubber backed mats, they hold up because that's kind of what they do. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's fit for purpose. And I think you said something that uh, reminded me what I've heard people like Deming and Russ Acoff say a lot of times when they're talking about the way people work is this concept of hoping for the best. I think there's a lot of work that happens around the yeah. world where people just try and hope for the best or get told to do your best, but no process is in place to allow the best to actually come through. I absolutely love that story. I have nothing to uh, to pull on. And I was just, I was right there with you 
with the teams. The only question I have is, did you bring those two different teams together, the door team and the the rubber mat, the rubber mat carpet floor team, so they can talk about what they learned? Oh yeah, well we actually had three working teams at the same time, so they were subgroups of the overall Kaizen team. And of course, we always do what we call the Kaizen newspaper status review. So once they came back from their visits, right? Then we shared what we learned, and then we started instituting the standard work for it, developing that, building the leader standard work, building the SOPs, the, the job instruction breakdowns, all the good stuff that's going to make sure that every one of the over 200 delivery drivers gets the same opportunity. Because you throw a mat in their truck, they don't know what it's for. That's not going to be very helpful, right? So this group, because they are quite advanced, they use training within industry, they have great great operating systems, great visibility for these systems, all those all those things that that make sustaining a bit easier for us. But we also know that people don't always follow their standard work. So they needed to know why we created One Point Lessons, which is a single page, very graphic document to make it simple for them to see how to use the mat, how to use the blanket. It explains why it matters so much and how it helps. So again, keep that message consistent, crisp, and clear. My delivery drivers, see, I said mine, because yeah. they're like extended family, man. It's just so much fun doing this with them. My delivery drivers, they wrote the message in a way that their colleagues would understand. Now, I always have to keep it PG-13 and below, because <laughs> as you imagine, being on a construction site, you probably see... It's not very Disney World-like, is it? Yeah. No. So, guys, we the message, we got to be respectful. We got to be clear. Keep it PG-13. But please understand, the people you work with want to get the benefit that you just created. Yeah, not everybody likes colorful language. I've found over, over time. Right. I, I yeah, can't say it. that I haven't offended at least a handful of people per month. <laughs> Well, absolutely. And it's not a good Kaizen event if you don't upset at least two people anyway. Yeah, like you had your, your it can't be done, you know, distribution center, town criers. And it sounds like you had, you know, multiple ones. You had the one at the 32-inch doorway, and you had those inside. <clears throat> How do you handle that? Do you bring them along? Do you slow down to show them what it is so that you can overcome that skepticism? Because I think sometimes that type of individual can be, uh, unfortunately, a poison pill to... Mm -hmm to slow down or stop or halt or shame people into not experimenting, which is the, that is the predominant culture in companies is not to experiment. Experimenting is like this very weird thing and it's not normal and typical for people. So what do you do with those individuals? The first thing you should do is listen to them. Try to understand what's really behind their objection, right? Because sometimes there is a story I could tell you about the team that ran back in the room and said, Oh my God, we must all be right-handers. Why? Because we showed it to somebody in their lefty and it wasn't going to work for them. Okay, so this is good. You need to listen to some of this stuff. Yeah. But when somebody just out of hand says something is stupid or it's not going to work, what we've always done, what we always try to do is you try it. Show us. Show us why it won't work. Show us. Try it this new way because we're just experimenting. We're learning, et cetera. So you need to be understanding. Now, that doesn't mean I've always held my temper. So I don't want anybody to think that my voice doesn't escalate as well that it's because when you're in the heat of battle, right, you want to win, you want to win. I don't want the team to ever feel like they should give up, but every so often that happens. But so I've been there so many times, there are so many ways of helping them get there, but 
Who are we doing this for? We're doing it for the organization, but the team is the experimenters. They're the mad scientists in the laboratory. So we can't let the outside forces slow us down to a point where we stop. So eventually you just say, forget the noise. You've gotten their feedback, address it where you can, but let's keep going because who are we trying to help? We're trying to help them. We're trying to help the customer. Sometimes they weren't in the room with us for three and a half days. They have not taken the journey. We'll help them with it later. Sometimes you're just not going to win every battle. But let's make sure that we absolutely give them the best possible solution that we can. Yeah, thank you for that. And that is sound advice. I think all the people listening can benefit from making them part of the process with the show me why and not discounting the negativity. The negativity or the skepticism sometimes can be very beneficial to the improvement team. And I want to just take advantage of your experiences, Adam. You've done this over 350 times across the world. What are some of the common mistakes that you see people make? Because you mentioned you see some patterns and I'm the same way and I'm just dying to know what kind of patterns of like mistakes that you see that that stall or prevent these Kaizen events from happening, you know, compared to like the best possible way that it can happen versus like, I thought that wasn't so good. You know, what are the, some of the things that cause it to not be a good change? Well, the first piece is not engaging leadership properly, right? So we've got to give support. We've got to have leaders willing to say, Hey, try stuff. It's okay. If it doesn't work, learn from it. We'll keep trying. Okay. So that that's big. If you don't have leadership supporting in that way, you probably shouldn't run the Kaizen event anyway. So that's that's one. I mean, there's I can tell you there are tons of mistakes. There's always patterns. Day two, we get into what I call the valley of despair. I don't believe that I've made that up, but people have said, Hey, I'm feeling pretty bad about this or the show. It's because it's now become real. We've we've thought of the, all these things. Now we got to actually try them. And guess what? Things don't typically work exactly as you hope for. So that's a big. So as a facilitator, helping them through the valley to help them say, hey, what'd you learn from it? Okay. Now, what do we do next? What do you want to try next? You know, let's find out what happens. Hey, a little learning beats no learning. So let's see what, see what we can do. Um, again, 10 million mistakes to be made. So you know, what else is there? Oh, I don't know. Not communicating well, not getting people's uh, feedback, not going out to Gemba to try it out. You know, a lot of people like to, especially us engineers, scientists, whatever, we love to argue in a room, get get the heck out of the room. Go see, go see, go see, go see. Let's go find out. Let's go find out. It takes one-tenth of time to address or understand the problem when you go see it in action rather than talking about it. And I'm probably being conservative in that way. Um, you know, people intentionally want to do well. There's very few that don't. Uh, so not recognizing the fact that people want to win and using their competitive nature as a driving force. I love to make competitions during these events. The other one is make it fun. Don't make it a death march, man. Have some fun with the folks. I give away all sorts of silly trinkets and we play all sorts of games. This is not easy. It's mentally draining for people that haven't done this before, even for the guy that's done it hundreds of times. It's tiring, but you know there's something good on the other side. 
they don't always know that. So you got to keep them engaged, keep them energized, get them out of their seats, get them out of the room, get them trying stuff. The sooner, the better. You don't have to check all the boxes sometimes. Lean is messy. Kaizen is messy. It's okay. Last, last mistake. Do not try to be perfect. Try it when you're 30% confident. Try it when you're 50% confident. If you wait, the whole week went away. You missed it. You missed your opportunities. We'll always run out of time before we run out of ideas. So try it, try it, try it. Learn, learn, learn. Try something else. Try something else. By the end of the week, you've got something better than what you had at the beginning. Adam, incredible. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom with us, all these beautiful experiences. I want to give you the last words of what you want to encourage people with as they go out into their workday. Go ahead, Adam. Well, you know, what's neat is people are just amazing creatures. We we refuse to lose for the most part, unless you follow my Washington football team. They like to lose. But other than that, most people like to win. So this is cool. Understand that. Give them the opportunity. Give them the chance to share. The person that's got their head down doing a very mundane task has all sorts of creative things happening in their lives outside of work. Give them a chance to lift their heads up, see the world around them, and share their ideas with you. To me, that's the thing that makes this all work. We all have stories to share. We all have experiences, very challenging experiences, very fun experiences. If you can put that together and unleash the creativity of teams, you're going to win. You're going to win. Adam, you are definitely doing the work to help counteract the most notorious waste of all, non-utilized talent. There's so much talent in people doing the work of various different tasks. And, and you said it, sometimes the most mundane tasks, the people that are good operators, they don't, they rarely, that's going to say never, but they rarely get the chance to put that creativity to use in a meaningful way because there's system pressure to just stay in the position that they are, not question things, to go forward and maintain things. And there's a, there's definitely a value and a benefit to adhering to processes and standards for sure. But what happens when we don't pause and allow for changes and experimentation to happen? Right. Well, that's, we wither and die <laughs> and our competition beats us. So you got to keep getting better because if you don't, somebody will just take, take all your customers from you. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Adam, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. You've been an incredible guest. People, go get the Wheel of Sustainability. Adam Lawrence, we've got the, the link will be down in the description below. Pick the book up. And Adam, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Yeah, so I have a LinkedIn page, you know, find me at Adam Lawrence. And I also have a company page, uh, Process Improvement Partners. Love to have a chat with you. Love to connect with you, learn from you as well. Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build.